and welcome to Happy Place, the show where I, Fern Cotton, take time out to just, ah, well, breathe, usually in the company of someone else who needs a breather too. Today's guest is another podcaster. She is the presenter of the hit show, How to Fail. It's Elizabeth Day. Humans are community-based animals. Mm. So there's a sense that we need our tribe. We need to forge connections. That's what makes us make sense. Yes. It's what makes us survive. But I feel like the dial on that has got really warped. Mm. And we're seeking too much community in a way, like too many voices. If you're a fan of the show, and you should be because it's exceptional, or even if you're not, you'll definitely get something out of this episode. And it's a little bit of a peek behind the curtain of how we make our shows too. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And now, here's the show. Elizabeth, I'm so glad that we're we're getting this is like lovely. I'm so already lovely. loving this so much more than anything else I've ever done. We were just saying it's like the podcast world is a nice world. Everyone gets on and everyone's willing to, you know, help each other out or cross pollinate. It's just gorgeous. It's a lovely place to be. Yeah, it's so true. And I really, really noticed that when I started my podcast that everyone was so supportive and it felt like there was this attitude that there was space for all of us rather than being really competitive and mean-spirited it was like welcome yeah and it and it's been such a lovely lovely experience for me Mm, same it's um it's very um empowering I think to be able to have that space to chat about whatever you like Yes, and as you know, because this is the first time, Fern, that you have interviewed me. I know. (laughs) I've only ever interviewed you for newspapers, Mm. which has been a delightful experience because you are amazing. Same for me. But it's also, I have to write it up in a certain way for a newspaper at the behest of a certain editor, and there's always a certain word count. And it was so liberating for me just to do an interview that was asking the questions that I actually wanted to know and to get beneath the surface of whatever project someone was trying to promote or whatever editor was saying to me, oh, she's a woman of a certain age, ask her if she wants babies. (laughs) But I know what you mean because I have had the same, I guess, with other broadcasting activities like radio tv a little bit but certainly radio you have eight minutes probably max and you know how deep can you go in eight minutes I tried once with Madonna and you don't get very deep in eight minutes you can't you know and I I I always want to it takes time as well doesn't it to sort of you know relax and and let and get the other person to trust you and 
and to then go off on tangents you hadn't even imagined. That's what I love about it. Is I'll I'll do prep, but actually it's nice just to sort of wander off somewhere over here and explore subjects and and we have the time and the space to do it which is gorgeous definitely and one of the things that I love about your podcast and you as an interviewer is your active listening (laughs) because I really think that that's such a key to getting a good interview Mm. is actually not coming with a list of pre-prepared questions as useful as that is for those moments of brain freeze but it is kind of listening to how the person responds and what they're saying but that's because elizabeth this podcast is a completely selfish endeavor where (laughs) i just want to learn from other people and and hear stories i think storytelling is so important so for me to be able to sit and listen to my god I've had just the most beautiful list of people take part in the podcast and I feel so lucky whenever I get to record an episode and I genuinely come away thinking differently you know little tweaks in my brain have been made and that's that's why I'm doing it really it's heavenly and I and I'm sure that was a catalyst for you because the subject matter that you deal with is one that massively fascinates me and I think we have so much to learn from failure, obviously, but also listening to other people's failures. It's, it's, it seems like a tricky, uncomfortable subject to delve into, but it's so valuable to us all. Oh, well, yeah, thank you for saying that, because that's totally what I think. And the reason I started the podcast was actually, I mean, the short answer is, is that I got dumped. <laughs> mm. And uh, a two year relationship came to an end three weeks before my 39th birthday. So I was single, staring down what felt like the barrel of my 40s. Yeah. And I looked back on the decade of my 30s, and they'd been a decade of such intense transition. And it was the decade during which I got married and divorced. Uh, during which I tried and failed to have children. So I had two rounds of IVF unsuccessfully and then I had a miscarriage at three months. And then after all of that, I got into a new relationship where I said to myself, I'm not going to make the same mistakes and I've learned so much and I know myself so much better. And then to find that that had ended as well, Mm. even though I tried actively to make different decisions, was really devastating. And it was in that patch of time that I started listening to a lot of podcasts, first of all, because pop music made me too sad. And and also having conversations with my friends and and conversations with myself, where I realised that whilst my 30s had been quite knackering in many ways, Mm. they'd also been a massive learning experience. And I had discovered reserves of strength that I never realized I possessed and that was really the genesis because I thought oh I feel like a failure on so many levels but I feel really empowered by acknowledging that resilience totally we all need it and we forget that and you can only get resilience by fucking up Exactly. And I now feel that every failure can be seen, if you choose to see it this way, as a lesson wrapped up in a mistake or a nudge from the universe in a slightly different direction. Mm. And now I choose to believe that relationships end not because I'm terrible and I've done something wrong and I'm not worthy, but because that person has come into my life and taught me the lesson that I needed to learn. And actually I'm not losing them, I'm finding myself. So Mm. that's how I choose to look at things now. I mean you've you've written um prolifically about your um IVF and your divorce and I love and admire the fact that you've done that because so many other 
men and women out there who will have experienced the the pain and the trauma that comes with that will ha- get such solace and and feel comforted from from your story so it's it's remarkable that you continue to to discuss those very important subjects but looking back at that period you know at the time you said it you know it felt like a decade where there was a lot of failure and mistakes made looking back at where you're at now would you say you still view them as failures or are you just kind of accepting of this was just twists and turns that were that were happening in my life? It's a great question. Um, both, I think, mm. is the answer in that I do feel it was a failure not to have children, which is such a weird thing because ultimately I'm not in control of my own biology. But a lot of the processes of infertility are clothed in the language of failure. So I was which told... Which is awful. It is awful. And... The vast majority of fertility experts are men. Yeah. So I was being told repeatedly by male consultants, you're failing to respond to drugs. God, and I hate this. I yeah. can't bear it. And a friend of mine was told her womb was an inhospitable environment. I mean, this is language that would not be used. But also I find it just incredible and horrendous that any doctor would say to a woman you can't or Mm. you won't because and I'm sure you've heard many stories like this I've had friends that were told you can't and you won't or there is something that is failing or wrong but then they have gone on to have a baby yeah but mentally I think what that does to you when you're when you're told that is then debilitate you on a mental level as well as the physical stuff that's going on then your head's on board with it so you don't stand a chance in getting out of that mindset because a professional is telling you so and I just that needs to change. Definitely. It, it does. And that's part of the reason why I talk about it. Yeah, good. A lot. <laughs> because I really want to get that message out there. And I really want women and men who are going through similar things not to feel the shame mm. that I felt. And it wasn't just shame from the medical professionals. It was also shame that I wasn't living up to my own expectations. So I had just always imagined that I would have children in my, in my 30s mm. and um, be married and that marriage would last and and I grew up in the 80s when there were a million and one brilliant rom-coms that I watched that really Mm. conditioned my expectation of what life was going to be like and now I try very hard not to have a plan because if I don't have a plan then life can't not go according to it if that makes sense yeah it's the best way to live yeah without expectation and just sort of in the moment as much as I possibly can. But just to go back to whether I still think of them as failures, I do, but I'm also at peace with it. And I think that that's really important to say is that I can be sad about things that haven't worked out and I can be at peace with that sadness. Yeah. And I can choose to grow from it and I've learned an enormous amount and I wouldn't have it any other way. Mm. So so it's not that I'm sort of Pollyanna-ish about it. It's not that I'm saying to everyone, you must fail happily all the time. Mm. Like you can fail and be really sad about it. And that's completely appropriate. But mm. it doesn't mean that you can't also grow from it. It's so key that you just said that. Because I think so many times we assume acceptance does equal happiness. That you're yeah. meant to go, I accept that period of my life. And it's all great now. And it's like, no, acceptance is about sitting in the discomfort. And that can be truly excruciating and take great uh, daily courage and discipline but it's still better than not accepting things and butting your head against a wall because you can't move on from things how are you at sitting in that discomfort today so much better than I used to be and I think you're totally right everything Mm. you just said is so absolutely what I believe 
I think that as you get older, you accumulate more experience. So I now know that any failure I will have to endure and there is no doubt that failure will happen to me. Oh, we all will. All of us, Yeah. yeah, every single day. You can't escape it. Yeah, but I now know that I'm stronger than I think and that I can sit through it. And because the feelings are familiar, I I sort of, it makes it better because I'm like, oh, I've been here before and I felt these feelings and they have always passed. So that's what I need to cling on to. Mm-hmm. And that's what will get me into the next moment. And yeah. that's what I return to. How many of our failures, and I'm talking about all of us here, how many of our failures do you think we would still feel were failures if we excluded outside opinion? Because a lot of the time, I've I, since thinking about this podcast, I've been really thinking about my own failures and I've got a whole list of them. But some of them I'm like, you know what? I don't know if I really believe that was a failure. I've just marked it as one because everybody else said it was or culturally or socially, that's what it is deemed as. So almost, you know, it can be quite freeing to go, well, I don't really give a shit, even if everyone else thinks that's not great. Yeah, it, that's so interesting, actually, because I think that ties into, I'm often asked what I define failure as, mm. and I define it as when something doesn't go according to plan. So then you have to question the plan. Mm. Where does the plan come from? And it could be that the plan is entirely yours, like it was with me with children. Like yeah. that, that, Although, actually, I say that, but possibly lots of that is social conditioning as well, which in itself is other people's opinions. But so much of how people feel they don't live up to stuff is absolutely shaped by the outside world. And because we now live in a culture where we all know way too much about everything and about each other's lives, Mm. and you can scroll through Instagram and appear to see everyone nailing it, because we have that constant social media feed it's so much harder to tune out that white noise and to really ask yourself what you want and what success means to you because success can mean so many different things and I think as a society we've really prized a weird metric of success which is about money or celebrity or living in a nice house and driving a nice car when actually success could be for you getting a great night's sleep, being able to yes. look yourself, yeah, like look yourself in the mirror and think, I am mm. who I truly am. Like I am more, my authentic self. That's for me, true success. Yes. I know that one because by trial and error, I've worked it out, Elizabeth. <laughs> Honestly, I, and I still get people today, I'll, you know, I'll get different reactions to, to my work and what I'm doing. You know, there are obviously a lot of people that will look at Instagram, like you say, and go, oh, they're on the TV or they're wearing a nice outfit or they make assumptions about your lifestyle or whatever, they must be fine. They Mm. must, what have they got to moan about? And it's such a weird myth. And obviously if, if, you know, you are struggling in life financially or you hate your job, obviously having a nice job is going to ease things up, but it, it cannot exclude loss, pain, trauma, panic all those other dark things we don't want that isn't like a safety buffer to stop you from experiencing those things so it's it is so strange that we almost equate that success as kind of like freedom if you have these certain things you will be able to negate all of the shit that none of us want to experience and it's so that's obviously like how many amazingly 
talented, well-known people have taken their own life that we've sadly witnessed. You know, we know that doesn't make sense, but still, I guess because of social media, we still do, and just the media in general, buy into that bizarre fantasy. And it's so dangerous for us all. It's so dangerous. And I think you've identified something really important there, which is that I clearly speak from a place of immense privilege. I am white, middle class. I own a laptop. That puts me in the top 0.5% of the global population. There are certain experiences of which I can never speak and I would not seek to do so because that would be super patronising. So I cannot know what it is like to be a person of colour, to be homeless, to be living with a chronic disability. And uh, I appreciate that everyone has therefore a very different spectrum of failure. But I think that you are completely right that this language is universal in so many ways Mm. and that actually success is so difficult to embrace if you haven't first embraced yourself. Of course, absolutely. And, And I imagine for someone like you Fern because you are so sensitive and that's your you're an empath and growing up in an industry where everyone was formulating opinions Mm. opinions of you from such a young age I mean that is heavy stuff oh yeah it's it's not conducive to being sane that's for sure most of the time (laughs) it's weird it's definitely a strange thing and I think you know I am massively sensitive but that's that's what also allows me to sort of do this work and, and enjoy it so much and and to be empathetic and to seek out great stories and and meet lots of interesting people and I think that's you know that's where we all need to start from is 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 looking at other people and other people's stories as unique and separate rather than whacking people in these groups of well this means this if you're in that group and that means that because not only is it unfair on you know everybody but it's also unfair on you because then you're trying to attain something or reach a place that doesn't really exist it's you've got to just do what's right for you and like you say you know at the start of this define your own you know realm of success what does it mean what shape is it what does it look like and and I you know in my 20s I had all sorts of crazy you know sort of seemingly crazy success on paper so I was doing tv shows in America and and stuff over here and you know really big tv shows and it's all great and yeah some of it was very exciting and fun but today my success is like this morning getting my kids out of the door on time to get to Mm. school oh my god huge tick feel amazing about that having an hour on my own to just sit and read or listen to music and draw a picture and it's the simple little pockets of calm like that for me is absolute luxury and I think it changes in time and I think the more we all understand that rather than thinking success is this on Instagram we can just stop giving ourselves such a bloody hard time definitely and I I really have to remind myself because as well as podcasting I write and so I write books and I'm a journalist I now no longer look at the online comments because that is a way of preserving yeah it is (laughs) I mean you know better than most They are awful. And actually looking at them, you're only ever looking for the bad things. They're the things that will stick. It's like rootling through your partner's desk drawers to try and find letters from his ex. I sound like a 19th century (laughs) spinster, but it is a bit like that. It's like you're you're looking for the thing that is like picking a scab that will make you feel bad about yourself. And I just realized relatively recently, actually, that 
that was not a good idea. Why would I intentionally want to wound myself? Yeah. So I don't look at online comments. And now when I write a book and I put it out there, I know that I need to feel good about what I've produced myself. But I also have sort of four cornerstone relationships in my life. And those people I love and I trust. And I know that they have my best interests at heart. And I also know that they will tell me the truth in a loving way Mm. and if they think I've done a good job then that's all I need and that's what I'm really working on is is that like that's that's the opinion that I need and yeah it's important I think for all of us to have a small core inner circle that we can really reach out to and we know what we're getting back is unrelated to them um and completely for the good of you and that you can also reciprocate and do the same to them because all of us are weirdly whether you're in the public eye or not sort of looking for this exterior adulation from likes or whatever it might be on social media and and actually it's rooting into those those real opinions and it goes back to that sort of question of you know would some of our failures be personally seen as failures if all of that outside noise was gone or even you know what your boss is saying to you or your peers are saying to you does it really matter because I've been taken off loads of tv shows like tons and it's weird in tv you don't necessarily get sacked just no one speaks to you and then you're not hired again like it's very weird that's horrible that's like being ghosted it's completely completely (laughs) there's no like can you come into my office look you weren't good enough you're sacked it's just oh that shows on the tv that I used to do and, and I'm not there like I've had that loads of times And in the past, I have viewed that as failure because other people have told me you're not good enough. Mm. But I think I'm at an age and a place now where I can go, I just wasn't meant to be there. I just wasn't meant to do it, you know. And I think it's hard when it's a boss or someone you work with or someone that you looked up to, but it still doesn't mean that's fact. Yeah, totally. And I think there are two things I want to say that like humans are community based animals Mm. so there's a sense that we need our tribe we need to forge connections that's what makes us make sense yes what makes us survive but I feel like the dial on that has got really warped Mm. and we're seeking too much community in a way like too many voices there's Mm. that research isn't there that a village is made up ideally of 150 people oh right that's your ideal number of um most people on Facebook have 150 friends completely sort of naturally and it seems to be that's the natural ideal number for a human community Mm. beyond that it's it's really stressful because you can't keep in touch with everyone on a congruent level and then external voices get more important when they shouldn't be so I think that the nucleus of our community has expanded too much and so therefore we now no longer know how to differentiate between the voice that's screeching in an online comment forum and your mother. You know? Yeah, <laughs> it's so true. They the seem lines to bear the same way. Yeah. And we just have to look back into our, you know, our gut, our intuition to some extent and go, well, what, what is it for me? What does it mean to me rather than all of that noise? Yeah. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's interesting, I guess, how people react so differently to failure as well, because 
I, I was sort of thinking about all of my friends and family and, and myself and how we all react so differently to failure, sort of naturally, inherently, without all of that social conditioning or, or where we've ended up in life. And I certainly know some people that will ignore failure altogether, like they just didn't see it happen and they just plow on which I guess can go down two routes, like just total oblivion where you don't learn or it comes up and bites you in the arse later down the line. Or some are really defined by it and feel very trapped by their failure and the language they use about themselves is, I am a failure, this failed, and they can't seem to get out of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of us want to reach that kind of place where we accept failure and we move on, but it seems like those first two are probably more prominent in, in sort of, you know, modern day society. Um, naturally, which camp do you think you fall into? Have you defined yourself by failure previously? Yes, I think I fall into that camp. And I think that's very astute because I actually think, I hate to generalise about gender, she said, about to generalise by gender. <laughs> <laughs> but generally speaking, I think that women are more likely to do that. Mm. We're more likely to be the ones who take ourselves down before someone else does. Mm. Whereas generally speaking, when I did the first series of the How to Fail podcast, I didn't know what I was doing. And I basically had to rely on contacts and friends to be my first eight guests. And I put out a lot of requests. And generally speaking, the men who got back to me didn't feel that they had failed and therefore didn't feel that they were right for the podcast. Wow. And it wasn't that they were being overweeningly arrogant. It was actually just that they saw it in a different way they were more confident about occupying the space in this world and it's partly because if you are lucky enough to be a white middle class man then you are born into a world that is made in your image Mm. so generally if you encounter an obstacle you see it as something to get over on your path to eventual success Mm, how interesting whereas I think if you're a person of color or a woman or part of a marginalized community the world isn't made in your image and therefore an obstacle can feel completely defeating Mm. and you define yourself according to it I'm really happy to say that that's changed a lot as I've seen the podcast grow. And now people of sort of all genders have sort of different takes on failure. But I just thought that that was, you know, if we so could... So interesting. Yeah. If we could adopt 5% of that confidence of that white man, mm. <laughs> that kind of myth of the white man who's just super confident about everything, imagine what the rest of us could do. Yeah, because I, I was reading an article that you'd written a while ago and it was about why women are so self-deprecating always in a very flippant sort of you know in in small yeah. ways but if someone says I like your dress well, oh god it's just this old thing you know we're, we're, it's just our it's I don't know if it's again it's sort of social indoctrination but that's kind of the language that we'll always use about ourselves rather than yeah I look great today or yeah. whatever it might be and it's weird that we've ended up in that place where we're so bad at taking compliments or being kind to ourselves. We constantly beat ourselves up. You know, I've got a bunch of girlfriends and, and we'll talk, you know, so often about this kind of subject. And actually, there are quite a few of my male friends that do fit into this tribe now. But we give ourselves such a hard time, especially about, like, things that are deemed as tiny failures, small little road bumps. And we give ourselves such mm. a hard time. And... I don't think it was like that a hundred years ago. It can't have been. I I think you're right. And I think, you know, recently I had to send an email to someone who I know, who I really like, 
it was a work email and I had to raise an issue that I felt uncomfortable raising. Yeah. But it was basically that something factually incorrect had been written in a piece and I had to raise it with mm. the relevant person. And I was so worried about that and so stressed out about it. And it, it in my mind, I mean, I was restless that night. I can barely sleep. Mm. And in my mind it accumulated such importance and then I got this the loveliest email back and it was ridiculous and I basically just made it up in my head and I think it's because sensitive people want to forge connections with other people Mm. and sensitive people often struggle in the world of traditional work so I don't know about you but I hate offices yeah I hate working in an office and I'm now lucky in the point of my career that I'm at that I don't have to and the reason I hate offices is because I think the vast majority of them are still run along traditionally alpha male lines yeah where there is less opportunity to forge the kind of empathetic sensitive connection that we like to do and it means that you know when I did work in an office I would be sending these emails littered with these mitigating self-deprecating words being yeah. like this is probably a rubbish idea it would be like you know that would be my <laughs> first so sentence done that yeah why do we do that uh, and I think it, again it's like this thing of we don't have confidence in ourselves and we feel like someone's about to sort of shoot us down and we're working in an environment that that hasn't learned how to respond more flexibly to mm. people and yeah, and I would just send these emails being like, I just wondered if you might consider this. And, I, and after a while, I got really sick of myself. And it was yeah. partly because I was writing a novel at the time, which had a male character at its centre. And the male character was this like bombastic businessman millionaire. And I was able to write this character. And he didn't care what other people thought. He just did what he wanted. I mean, he felt like he was a master of the universe. And I was like, this is interesting that I'm capable of writing the character and therefore knowing how this character might think. And I'm not capable of applying that in my own life. And then I just started deleting all of those words, all of those lessening words from my emails. And that made a real difference. It makes such a difference. Like you say, if you're sensitive, if if you're a people pleaser, to be upfront and direct, and I'm saying this from total personal experience, is so difficult and I've started to make that turn this year because I before was quite boundaryless and I hated saying to people up front you know this is how I like to work or this is how I like to you know have a, a dynamic friendship wise or whatever I found it so difficult to do that that I would kind of just be boundaryless and let them come into my life and do whatever they wanted to do without me you know, saying anything or setting any guidelines or, or being honest, really. And, oh my God, I got into all sorts of trouble with, you know, friendships breaking down and dynamics just completely going awry, like very strange situations. And then this year I thought, I've got to try this boundary thing. Yeah. And at first (laughs) I thought, oh my God, they're going to think I'm such a wanker and I'm being so you know, bossy and overly confident and they're going to just think, who the hell does she think she is? Whereas like you said with that email, that's very rarely the case. People like to know where they stand and go, oh, cool, fine. You don't like that? Absolutely cool. I don't like this. And, you know, they they will match up to, to your request with their own. But I've, I have found it s- such a simple thing, yeah. so difficult. And it's 
it's a shame that I think so many of us feel such a lack of confidence in that way because it is a huge lack of confidence and, and it's a self-esteem issue as well. Hugely. And I, like you, this year have been really concentrating on boundaries because I find it so hard. Mm. And my boyfriend is always joking, like, you know, whenever I go out, I'll go out and he'll be like, don't make best friends with the shopkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> and, but but I really I'm like you in that I really like forging connections and Ooh. then it sort of happens um, and then you get yourself enmeshed into this whole situation yeah. where then you feel you owe someone something and you don't want to let them down yeah. and it's so difficult and I remember reading this thing I follow this woman on Instagram called the holistic psychologist oh I've got to follow this person you okay. will love her she's I will. amazing right. and I was in LA over the summer and she did a guided meditation on Venice Beach which I think is the most wanky thing I've ever said <laughs> <laughs> but I but went it sounds great it was so great I went and it was really wonderful oh, and wow. I got to suspend all of my British cynicism and just sit there in Heavenly. the sunshine it was really lovely did you have a shot of wheatgrass after Yes, I went. The dream is complete. <laughs> it was like chlorophyll water. Actually, fun <laughs> chlorophyll water. Um, but she said this thing on Instagram. She had this thing about boundaries and what you should say versus what you feel like saying. Mm. So what you feel like saying, I, I really struggle saying no when people ask me out in the evenings. <sighs> but actually, I really, so, sometimes I just want a night on my own at mm. home. I do every night. Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes out. you're made to feel bad about that because someone in a lovely way really wants to see you but actually there's this one night of the week and you need to take that for yourself for self-care and the holistic psychologist said what you traditionally might say is I'm really sorry um and come up with an excuse like I'm really sorry I'm really busy and I just can't make it and I'm really stressed and I'm or you'd flat out lie and be like I've got my friend's birthday party yeah done that (laughs) Um, but she said what you should actually say is I'm sorry I'm I'm that sounds fun I'm sad I won't be able to make it nice. and leave it like that yeah you don't need to explain yourself no nope. you actually don't need to apologize you just need to express yourself in a in a kind way yeah that is giving but not too giving and it doesn't eradicate your sense of self mm, I've that's what I've started doing this year because especially with the going out at night time thing there is this huge pressure we're meant to be like living the dream out all the time having all this crazy fun I did that in my 20s like every mm. night and I, I can't be asked and I'm really tired and I like reading in bed so <laughs> I am quite honest with people like I'll go out for dinner here and there with some mates like very small groups but the thought of going to a party oh like yeah. I literally feel anxious thinking about it so I just tend to say to people look I am absolutely knackered at the moment and it's the truth and I'm just being a bit of a hermit and I'm hanging out at home but you know thank you for thinking of me and if I don't get invited out anymore so be it you know I'm off the party list I'm not going to go anyway so it's fine and one of my real fears is like ending up alone I think because Mm. I don't have children therefore I don't have anyone locked in Mm. (laughs) now I know that children there's never that guarantee that they're going to be around and love you they will probably fuck right off to university (laughs) and not call you for a very long time I don't think I, I like being on my own and I know like there's obviously a huge problem with loneliness around the world but in this country we know it and there's statistics to prove it and it's a horrible place to be at if you properly feel lonely and like you don't have anyone and I think there's so much we need to do about that and drive a sense of community more because community's mm. kind of gone down the pan and and it is awful, especially for the elderly that, you know, I had grandparents that were in a similar boat and we would try and be there as much as we could. But, but loneliness is a huge problem. So I, 
I totally get where that fear roots back to that so often. Yeah. I don't know if I've, I've been very lucky. I haven't actually felt loneliness because I am a bit of a, I like being on my own a lot of the time. I like just reading and being quiet. I don't know if it's a reaction to how like loud my job can be, but I kind of like that. So if I don't get invited out ever again, I sort of don't care. Yeah. Which is a bit mean perhaps to say no I think it's great I mean I've got like I have lovely friends that I do hope will be in my life forever and I hope that we you know grow gray together and sit chatting about all of this sort of stuff you know and I'll put you in that camp I hope we get to do this when we're in our 90s still and be waffling yes. on about stuff so you definitely won't be alone great if I I'll be you there, in okay. we're fine but I get that that is the root of that fear. But it's funny we attach it to kind of general socialising. Can I ask you whether when, I suppose because you were so young when you became famous, if I can use that word. I was about to use successful, but because we've had that whole conversation Mm. about success. Did you find that certain friends phased themselves out of your life or or started thinking of you differently, even though you hadn't changed because maybe they were threatened by your... You know what? I think I've been quite lucky. So I... I even had like a quite a small friendship group at school and there were six of us. We all grew up in the same sort of uh, suburbs of Northwest London, working class families, and we're all still best mates and we hang out all the time. And and they, they're the ones actually that can see past all of that, if anything. They couldn't give a shit what I'm up to, what TV show it is or whatever. We always just lock back to sort of being 12, which is quite nice. So... I think I've been very lucky that I just got given this great group of mates and we're just, we have a different special little gang when we're together. So I do feel very supported in that way, which is, which is really nice. Um, and I haven't had to delve into that sort of boundary thing with them because it's sometimes not needed, I don't think, is it? With yeah. certain people, you just kind of all know where you stand. Definitely. And the best nice. friends are definitely the like best that. best friends. How, how have you found... I love that we've we've connected on the boundary thing because it's such a big one for me. How have you found being a journalist bearing that in mind? Because my, and this is me totally generalizing, but also from experience, my experience of being interviewed by journalists is that it is terrifying. I feel judged. I feel I'm about to be tricked and often I am. But with you, when you've interviewed me a couple of times now, and from reading your work and how you've interviewed other people, like the lovely piece you did with Nadia recently. Thank you. Um, you don't do that. You just have a nice chat and then you write it up fairly. Like I read the interview that you, that, that we did together for you magazine. And I was like, yeah, that's spot on. And I don't feel that very often. And I wonder how you get great interviews and you keep things fair because you do have to have an opinion of someone because that's your job. But you do it without, you know, still having that issue with boundaries. That's quite rare. That means so much to me what you've just said, truly. Because I always really worry that I haven't done a good enough job in representing who that person actually is mm. in, an, in a magazine interview. Only because I only get so many words. And, yeah. there's only, and generally, I always find that people give such interesting quotes. That I basically just want it to be them speaking. Mm. <laughs> um, and I'm so, thank you so much for saying that. Well, it's true. Um, when I started out in journalism, I was an inveterate people pleaser which is not the greatest combination because... I don't think I've met a journalist that is like that, though. No. Well, this is the thing is that 
I actually now think it served me really well in terms of the interviews that I do mm. because I would go into an interview and I would want to forge a connection with the person I was interviewing. Most journalists worth their salt would say that is not your job your job is to go there and ask the questions that need to be asked and then give a clear-eyed assessment of who that person is yeah get a great headline exactly get Get a news story Mm. and and for a long time in journalism I felt that my style of interviewing was really out of fashion and that actually people enjoyed reading interviews that were unkind and kind of hatchet jobs on the people because they were entertaining to read and I put that in quotation marks and and I definitely felt that because I always thought that my interviews should be about the person I was interviewing um, rather than me making jokes at their expense Mm. and that's part of the reason I've loved doing podcasting and it's why I love the job that I currently have in journalism on you magazine because they give me free reign to write how I write and they value that and that's really lovely but for a long time I would go into interviews and I would want to end up like being their best friend Mm. and I remember there was this one instance where I interviewed Emily Blunt a few years ago and she was just so lovely and charming and charismatic and we I felt really connected on multiple levels (laughs) and at the end of the interview she like dropped me off and gave me a lift somewhere and I was like we are going to be great we are going to be great friends yeah (laughs) and then clearly never heard from her again (laughs) and actually what she'd done is that she just she just had wild levels of charisma and when Mm. I listened back to the tape she'd given a great interview but not actually said that much because I just been like dazzled by how lovely she was <laughs> so uh that was that was one e- example of my boundaries just kind of going out of the window mm. in a way that wasn't particularly helpful and now I'm much more aware partly because I've now been interviewed myself yeah of what it's like in the same way that when I wrote my first novel and my novel was reviewed Actually, the first two reviews I had were awful. And I know now how upsetting that is. And it made me... I stopped doing book reviews, really. Mm. Uh, And only any book review I ever did subsequently was a book that I liked. I would never slag one off. And uh, now it's very helpful because even the, the nice... The vast majority of interviews I've had have been really nice. But when you see yourself written down in someone else's words, even if they're... So weird. It is so odd. So weird. It really is Mm. weird because obviously they've made a choice of what they're going to focus on and which quotes they're going to use, even Mm. if you said all of it. And who you are. And who you are. Which is a huge one. Yeah. And and the first couple of interviews, there were some just like massive errors in the first paragraph. I was like, this is awful. Mm. It's bizarre. (laughs) It's a bizarre situation to be in. But I think that that's now made me realise what it must be like from the other side. Mm. And also be more aware that actually, you know, read the room. Like some people like you want to connect and that's so beautiful and I really cherish it and some people just want to do it as like a business-like transaction and in and out and I completely understand and respect that Mm -hmm. and it's just about getting what you can and sorry I'm rambling but there's another thing that I want to say is that (laughs) I am generally sincere I like to think of myself so if I say something I mean it yeah and um I see nothing wrong in like sharing something of myself if it makes the other person feel comfortable. Absolutely. I love doing that. That's like the best feeling. Yeah. What do you think fundamentally makes us so terrified about failure? Because, you know, what is failure? It's not one thing. Failure Mm. is, you know, as you said, it could be because we've set expectations and we didn't meet them. But, but okay, we've worked out what that is. What does that even mean? Is it, is the fear abandonment rejection 
Like, what, what is that root fear that we are desperately trying to avoid, even though we know it's inevitable? Wow. I think the fear stems from a loss of control. Because the universe, if you read the science, <laughs> is a kind of chaotic place with no meaning or rationale mm. that to me is an extremely terrifying thought yeah. and I choose I don't believe that actually I'm more of the school of thought that we can't possibly understand everything and actually it would be arrogant to assume that we can mm. and there are things that are beyond human comprehension for instance the notion of non-linear time but that's yes. a whole other podcast don't get me started on that my head is, will explode <laughs> if, if I start thinking about that or infinity I can't yes. I just I, I will my head will my brain will explode yeah I know it's because it's it is extraordinary when you yeah. start thinking about it but that's what I think it is we as humans are trying to impose some kind of control on a universe that seems scary because it's beyond our comprehension mm. and so fear of failure is like almost having a chink in that armor you're like oh my god something has happened that I didn't anticipate mm. and I feel ill-equipped for and what does that mean and who am I mm. <laughs> I think that's where it all comes from and actually therefore when you realize that it is beyond your control, but maybe it's beyond your control for a reason. Yeah. And maybe it's that a lesson is being sent to you in a different format from the mm. one that you're expecting. That's tremendously reassuring. Absolutely. Like a nice little plot twist rather than it being the end of the world. Exactly. Mm. exactly. That's how I like to see them these days. Yeah. Even if it's still shit to deal with, it's like... We're just going off on a different journey. Let's see what happens here. And as I'm always fond of saying, life is texture. So mm. you can't fully appreciate happiness or contentment without having also experienced the flip side mm. of sadness and disillusionment. And that's not to say we need to actively seek out all the bad experiences. It's just that it's part and parcel of the same thing. Yeah. So there's this Truman Capote quote, which is that failure is the condiment that gives success its flavour. Oh, that's lovely. And I think that that's so true. And mm. just on a very practical level, the success or the, um, the fact that so many people have related and connected to the How to Fail podcast has been so immensely touching to me because I've done other things that haven't done that well. And also because I realised that it's the thing that I've put out there that is most me, <clears throat> it is me being most honest mm. about who I am. And that's the one that's had most resonance. And there's, that's yes. a really nice thing. And there's, and, and there's a huge fear for all of us to just be us. Like, what if I say what I really think? Won't, will everyone, you know, leave me? Will everyone judge me? Will everyone not like me? And then actually, I think we all realise most of the time, however we're doing it and communicating mm. it, when we are just us... I'm not trying to emulate someone else or block bits of us. We're more accepted and we're more embraced by other people. And that's such a, a yeah. lovely realisation for everyone across the board. Exactly. And I think that ties in with boundaries because <clears throat> if you're trying to please everyone all the time, you're not going to be doing a great job. Mm. Whereas if you're concentrating on the real meaningful relationships, that's where the good stuff lies. Mm. And I'm, 
I was reminded just then of the thing that Elizabeth Gilbert said on your podcast about, oh my God, I mean, I'm obsessed. I was so jealous of you interviewing her. I'm jealous of me. I can't believe it happened. I'm like, I want to do it again. But she said this thing, if you do it again, can I come along? Absolutely. Okay, I'll just be your assistant. Because that'd be a nice podcast. That's three. <gasps> yes. Oh, Even if I do way. say so myself. <laughs> Rather than between two fans, would be between oh, two Elizabeths. So good, hey? so good. Um, um, but she said this thing about when Raya died, she had so many emails unread in her inbox, mm. and she just deleted them all. Delete. She was like, "I don't care. I don't care." And it is okay for me not to care because this seismic, traumatic, awful thing has happened, mm. which has completely shaken my world. And I don't care yeah. about you asking me to speak at this event. Yeah. And I, I, honestly, it really stuck with me because I was like, same. one, I could do that. You can, it's within our, all of our no, gifts. Can do it. We can just delete our delete. inboxes. Heaven. <laughs> <laughs> boundaries. Amen yeah. to boundaries. Yeah. Who's your favourite guest you've had on your podcast? Well, you're not meant to have favourites, are you? But you so I can. Do, okay. I, I interviewed a man called Mo Gaudat who used to be a chief business officer at Google X and he developed an algorithm for happiness. And he says that he can make anyone happy. And his son, Ali, died during a routine operation, tragically at the age of 21. So Mo had to put his own algorithm into practice. Bloody hell. And he is one of the most inspiring, enlightening, beautiful thinkers I've ever had the pleasure mm. of being in the same room with. And I let that interview run unedited. And that's how I put it out there because he had such important things to say. And actually, I learned so much talking to him. And then I learn more every single time I re-listen to that particular Mm. episode. So that's my favorite. But I've also had people come on. I love all of them, but I've had people come on who are unexpected. So I love reality TV and I make no bones about that and no apology for it. And I still watch Made in Chelsea and therefore... I loved the fact that Jamie Lang oh, Jamie came on. Lang, yeah. yes. He came on my podcast, but people who didn't watch Made in Chelsea and who might have had preconceptions about a reality TV star, loads of them got in touch with me afterwards saying, I had no idea. What a great guy. How lovely. How interesting. How and lovely. he had such important things to say, so I liked him as well. I mean, you've had um, just a plethora of incredible guests uh, from really varying backgrounds with varying experiences but the common theme being they are all willing to show up and be massively authentic and honest and I'm wondering what they have felt like afterwards because you know you're very good at what you do and you sit and you get comfy and people are very honest and open and they talk about those three big failures they've had Mm. what have they felt like afterwards and what's the reaction been like has anyone sort of regretted it and asked to have things removed or for it not to be put out and Mm. and panicked and also what's the audience reaction been like so um the reaction is as varied as the guest so I have had people a couple of people who after the interview has happened have felt really vulnerable completely Mm. understandably because quite often People are so honest and people cry and it feels a bit like therapy, which is actually the highest compliment you could pay me. And um, there was one instance where someone wanted to hear the recording before I put it out there. And one of the joys of being in control of your own podcast is that you can choose whether to do that or not. And I'm very much of the opinion that I want my guests to feel safe and respected. Absolutely. So I I sent it to this person and this person then replied to me saying, it is really beautiful and I, I, I'm i so 
happy that it's going to be out there and thank you for setting my mind at rest Mm. and um I've so I've had a couple of people completely understandably who just need reassurance Mm. and who have never spoken that openly before but then when it's out there they're so um moved I think by the reaction of people because when someone chooses to be honest and vulnerable, that's when so many other people get in touch with them and relate. Mm. And so overwhelmingly, people, when they come on my podcast, I think have such a positive experience afterwards because they realise how meaningful their words have been to people through the medium of social media, actually, which has many positives as well as negatives. And um, But generally speaking, when people come on House Fail, because I've asked them for their three failures in advance, I want them to feel safe setting their own parameters. Yeah. So if they've chosen to discuss those failures, then generally they're ready to do so. Mm. And I also always say, if you feel uncomfortable during the conversation, that's fine and we can take stuff out. But I've never been asked actually to take anything out. There was Mm. one anecdote and I'm sure she won't mind me saying, my friend Francesca Siegel came on to talk about giving birth to premature twins and um, she just thought one anecdote made her sound really geeky. <laughs> and she was like, please, geeky's take good. That I'll be happy with a geeky anecdote. That's fine. <laughs> oh, how funny. Yeah. But I think that's the thing. People, like you say, quite instantly realise, even if they do feel vulnerable, and it is really scary, that sharing their stories and, and being 100% them and, you know, telling their truth, there's nothing wrong with that. I think we all feel so much worry or shame about our past or things that we deem as failures it is the most sort of vulnerable space you can be in mm. but it's the truth and it's what happened and it's really connective and and you can you can hear that when like Nigel the Nigel Slater one which was oh just the oh, most gorgeous so episode it's one of my favorites and and to hear the depths that he went to and into his past yeah and someone that you would kind of just think oh he's got a lovely life now and he's really you know he's lived the dream and he's he's succeeded and achieved so much but to hear how much the past can obviously still affect us all and how connective that can be to other people that's just a beautiful thing all around and hopefully helps lots of other people lose a bit of shame in the process yeah I mean Nigel Slater his failures were so beautifully written oh. that I actually printed them out and made him sign them at the end. Oh, I mean, his wow. They were so beautiful. And they were literally things like, I failed as a son. Oh, and yeah. I, I was so honoured that he chose to go there. Mm. And one of his failures is actually failure to be a good friend. Mm. I'm determined to make him into my friend. <laughs> We've had lunch, so I feel like Have I'm you? on the path. Yeah. You're so there. Sod Emily Blunt. You're exactly. on the path to getting the best cooked food ever. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, well, look, Elizabeth, this has been such a joy and I've been looking forward to this for a long time and I'm so, so glad we got the chance to just sit and chat about all sorts of stuff and I know that if my producer Matt was not sat there waving his arms around we would be here until 2022 but thank you so much I've loved it so much Fern thank you and I it's been a dream of mine not even to come on the Happy Place podcast. I was like, that's way too much of an ambition. But just <laughs> to be like silly. be in your presence. Thank you so, so much. It's been lovely. Thank Thanks so much to Elizabeth Day. What she's doing is just so inspirational and game-changing. So do check out How to Fail on your podcast app of choice. And you know what? I'm very lucky because she's become a great friend. Lucky, lucky me. 
And while you're there, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Share your favourite episode on Spotify or simply go into your friend's house and ask Alexa for Happy Place. Basically, just spread the word. And to find out who's on the show next week, find us on Instagram at Happy Place Official. A massive thanks again to Elizabeth, to the producer Matt Hill at Rethink Audio, and to you lot for listening. Thank you, thank you, and I'll see you next week. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.